Let's take our Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Philippians 2, verse 19. And as you're turning there, I want to give you a warning about this message today. Um, I don't know if you've ever been reading your Bible, and you're doing maybe a walk through the Bible in a year, or you're walking through a particular book in the Bible, and you come to a certain passage... And it seems like what is being said has absolutely no relevance to your life. It's talking about people and places that you don't know of. And sometimes you and I, let's take, for example, the minor prophets. Okay? You come to something like Obadiah or, or Nahum, which Nahum is the heavy metal book in the Old Testament. It's a very small book and it is nothing but hardcore judgment against Nineveh. That's it. And so we, we can come to things like Proverbs where it tells us that a soft answer turns away wrath. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. We said, I need that. I can use that in my day-to-day life. Uh, We come to uh, all sorts of teachings in the book of Psalms. Like in Psalm 37, it says, Fear or tremble or quake not. Fear not. You've got bills to pay. The Bible says, fear not. But then we come to certain portions of the Bible... And it just is hard to connect. Now, I know we're in church and none of you ever have that problem. None of you have ever passed through Leviticus in your reading through the Bible in a year program. None of you have ever passed over Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. But I just want to put a thought in your mind, okay? You don't have to make a decision about this, but I want you to just think about it. Um, Do we come to the Bible saying, I want the Bible to be about me. I want what I find here to directly correspond to my day-to-day life now. In other words, are we trying to make the Bible into our image? Or do we come to the Bible saying, you know what, this is God's inspired, uh, infallible, inerrant, uh, absolutely true word, and I'm going to bow the knee of submission to it because who it comes from, and I'm going to say, whatever I find in here, even if it doesn't seem very relevant, even if I'm reading Nahum or Obadiah or a very obscure Old Testament book, or what we're going to look at today, could it be that we approach the Bible in the wrong attitude, and maybe that explains sometimes why we don't get as much out of our Bible reading as we wish that we would. Just want you to think about it, okay? It could be that we're coming to the Bible wanting to make it into our image instead of saying, Lord, conform me to your likeness. Now, go back with me to Philippians chapter 2 in verse 1. This is the background of what we're going to study today. It's very powerful. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1, the Bible says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same, help me out church, the same what? Mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Here's verse 3. Here's the kicker. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit or selfishness, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. We're going to look at this message this morning called Band of Brothers. And if you've seen, the only one that I'm referencing that I've seen all the way through is the one in Europe, the first band of brothers that came out a number of years ago. It's a very, very powerful epic of a group of American soldiers 
who embarked on D-Day, and some of them made it all the way through the war. And Richard Winters, the leader, this is a real-life interview when he quotes Mike Rainey, one of the men in their squadron, on who was asked by his grandson. And he said this, I treasure my remark to my grandson who asked, Grandpa, were you a hero in World War II? And here's what Mike Ramey responded. He says, no, but I served in a company of heroes. Amen? I served in a company. I'm not anything special, even though all of them were. But when you talk to and you see interviews, most of those men will say something to the effect of, it's not me who's special. In fact, the most special ones are still over there. And the only reason why I'm here is because I served with a group of extraordinary people who sacrificed themselves, who put others first, who faced death down, and they won the stare down. I'm not a hero, but I served in a company of heroes. And when we come to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 19, we find a similar setting. Listen to what the Apostle Paul writes from in prison. He says, I hope in verse 19, in the Lord Jesus, to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. What an awesome, awesome picture of a veteran Christian soldier who is in prison for preaching the gospel of Jesus. He wants to hear how these people in Philippi are doing. This Roman colony where he planted a church. And he says, you know what? I've got somebody I can trust. I've got a young man named Timothy. Now, if you have your your outline, we're going to walk through this systematically. So I'm going to give you the driving thought, and it's there for you. The driving thought, the main idea for this passage is this. A true bond requires a high commitment. People shacking up with each other today, it's, it's not a commitment. All right? I'm 32. It's very common in my generation for people to date. Then they get serious and they begin to live together. And maybe then they will think about marriage. That's wrong. All right. If you're a believer, you need to you need to get married or get out of that relationship. Y'all okay this morning? Okay. It's a common thing. It's a culturally accepted thing. But just because everybody's doing it, not everybody. We don't talk about the just because the majority may say it's okay doesn't mean it's right. And I've had college students say before, yeah, Jeff, but what if you love the person? Right? Like, what if you love them? Isn't that all that matters? Well, love is not up for a definitional twisting. Alright? We don't just get to define love however we want to define love. In fact, the one who defines love is the one who is love, and that's God. And love always requires a high commitment. It's called marriage. Okay? The only time to where we are given the thumbs up. And by the way, God gives the thumbs up for marriage. He does. He, he has a high commitment. And some people, I know high school students, uh, college students, they'd say, Oh, Jeff, it seems almost like when, when you hear preaching and so forth that, that no one ever 
wants you to be fulfilled in that way. God's the one who got, who thought that up. I'm just going to be very candid with you this morning. The way that you are fulfilled sexually is truly when you find that person that God has brought to you and you marry them and it's okay. And if you're married, you can say amen. And it's okay, alright? It is a high commitment. You don't just get to shack up with anybody you want to and then expect there to be happiness and everybody rides off into the sunset. Sometimes they ride off into the sunset only to see a little red dot on their shoulder and then their ex blows them out of the saddle with a 50 caliber BMG of bitterness and resentment. Alright? High commitment. Let's get back to the text. Here's how to show gospel-driven concern. Now, now here's here's the category here. What we're going to talk about is how you get to the point where you can truly look at a group of people, small or big, and say, these are my brothers and these are my sisters. If they need something, I'm going to be there. If there is bloodshed, I'm going to be there. If they need money, I'll try to scrape some together. If they need support, I am there. It's not a question of if, it's I'm there. Right? Like, I'm going to take a quantum leap and I will be there with them. may not know what to say, but I'm going to be there. Here's how you get to that point. Because often we are so connected today. We have Facebook. We have Twitter. Um, For those five people left on MySpace, they're still MySpace. And, you know, they're zanging all all, all this, this social networking. We've got email and we send pictures on our phones. And we can do all of this texting and communication. But often what we find... And we don't have time to get into this this morning because it would take way too long. But there have been studies that have been done. And we are an increasingly interconnected society. But what we are finding is that we are increasingly a lonely society. Take people on a Friday, Saturday night alone. That's not a bad place to be if everybody else is out doing things that's, that they're going to regret the next morning, by the way. So we'll put that out there. Do you have your cell phone? All these numbers, you get on Facebook if you have it, all these quote-unquote friends, but you feel alone. Even if you're not an online person, you can drive through town and say, I know that person, I know that person's, I know their dog, I know their cat. You know, you know, you know where everybody lives, but sometimes you can get to that point where you feel alone. Here's how you begin the course to developing true, hardcore, band of brothers, band of of sisters' relationships. How to show gospel-driven concern. Number one in verse 20. You develop and you show genuine, concerned action for people different than yourself. You develop and you show genuine, concerned action for people different than yourself. The Apostle Paul there in verse 20, he speaks of Timothy who is concerned for the welfare of the Philippians. Some of you are like, I don't know if I'm supposed to say amen, but I don't really see the significance. Let me break it down. Paul is Mr. Jewish pedigree. Okay, This is like Mr. PhD plus some. Postdoctoral work in MIT. Alright? Like the man. Full Jew. Then he is with this young man named Timothy who is half Jew and half Greek. In that day and age, he would have been called a half-breed. The Greeks would have said, oh, you're one of those despised Jews. The Jews would have said, oh, you're one of those unclean Gentiles. So you've got a full Jew, a Jew Jew, 
And then you've got a young man who's a half-breed who's being sent to a primarily Gentile, Roman, retired military area. That's called the gospel. Amen? Only the gospel can cross those lines. And why did Paul send him? He said, so you can bring back how news, news of how God is using the Philippians so that I will be cheered. In verse 19, notice he says, I will send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. It means to be glad or to have courage. What gives you courage and what makes you excited today? I just want to just put this out there again, a bug in your ear, in your mind. That we know that we are right with God when what truly gets us excited is the progress of the gospel within people or people groups that are different than ourselves. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Go with me to verse 20. He says, For I have no one like him, Timothy, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Man, there is a load of truth in that. He's saying literally in the Greek when he says, I have no one like him. He says, I have no one who is of like soul. You know, Aristotle was the one that said, friendship is one soul residing in two persons. Now, for a pagan Greek, that's pretty good. Friendship is one soul residing in two persons. And the Apostle Paul uses the word soul. He said, man, we are knit together. We have the same worldview. We have the same point of life, which is the glory of God. And see, here's the difference, all right? If you're saved here this morning, here's the difference between you and everybody else who's not. Number one, you are no better. Amen? Alright, we gotta get to that point. And by the way, have we, have we pretty much killed that dragon? If there's any, if, I don't know if it's, sorry, it's tail flop once in a while, but if we think for one second that church is for the good people, go to church, you're a good person, if you don't, you're a bad person, may God deliver us from that, and I'm not cussing when I say this, may God deliver us from that damnable lie. It is that all of us are bad people in God's eyes, Amen? We are no, but the only thing that is different is that some of us have been rescued from what we truly are by God's grace. And so the change happens to the world is seeking, like Jesus says in Matthew 25, I would encourage you to write that down and go check it out later. If you're a person um, that when you get down and when you get depressed, you feel better if you go buy something. Alright? I'm serious. Some of y'all are like, She's right here, or he's right here, okay? Like, uh, seriously, what can happen to us sometimes if we get off kilter, we can begin to go back to the ways that we used to define ourselves, and it's like this. Often when we can get depressed and get down, sometimes we go to food and we will overeat, thinking that that will fix it. Sometimes we go to the store and say, if I can buy something nice, like if your lady, you want to go buy yourself something nice, it will make you think that you are valued. Because of what you have on. Sometimes guys will go buy something, you know, like, like, like a, 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 another, why, I need an, an, another, I was getting, never mind, I'm not gonna go that. You, the question why, is not why do you need that gun, why don't you need that gun? So I'm just gonna leave that. Okay guys, you can pay me later for that. But seriously, we can go and we can either buy something that will make us feel good about ourselves, or we can buy something new that we don't need to distract us from thinking about our problems. You see? 
That's called a Band-Aid, and often it comes in the mail every month with like a 30% interest rate. This is deep. You may need to write this one down and then highlight it. The way that you begin the road to recovery with that is you get down on your knees and you reach up and you grab the drawer next to the stove and you pull out what's called scissors. Then you reach in your pocket or your purse and you pull out that little piece of plastic that is messing up your walk with God and you kill it. Y'all all right? If you have any more questions on this, we, we took four weeks and went through finances, what the Bible says about how you can actually be financially successful. No matter where you are, if you're near retirement, if you're young, if you've not even started working yet, go back and check out that series. And there are guidelines from God's Word. If you invest, if you give, if you save, you will be um, able to support yourself in the long run. But what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, you know what? My joy is not in stuff that I have, not in things that I wear, not in all of these distractions, but what gets me fired up, what I can't wait to do is send my son, Timothy, to see how you guys are doing. And then he's going to bring me back word like, oh, well, you know, Titus, that one Roman guy. And he was there. You remember how he came into the first church service and he sat on the back with his arms crossed and he had all of those scars from the Roman wars he had been in. But then, Paul, remember when you begin to preach and, and old hardcore Titus, he stayed afterwards and then he gave his heart to Christ. Well, guess what he's doing now? He's going back to his old platoon and bringing his other guys to the church and people are being saved. And Paul's like, man, that's what truly will, notice verse 19, cheered, be given courage by the news of what God is doing in you. You see, Matthew 6.33 says, Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these, help me out church, all these what? These things. Things. Stuff. Stuff that will go from dust to rust. All of these things will be added to you. So let's say, for example, that you've been slammed by the economy. Alright? Maybe you're one of those people and you had a 401k and now it's like a week of 1k. Alright? It still has not built back up at all. Maybe you are struggling to make your bills. Understand that Jesus said the one who owns... Uh, uh, this is like an old country preacher thing. So by the way, I think we need... we. We don't give respect to the old hardcore country preachers who preach in really rough places with often churches that are just a lot of hellions. I would encourage you, no matter if this is your home church or not, go find one of these little churches that are having some struggles. Go in and just encourage the pastor one day. Amen? These places that don't have, I mean, deacons that you can go out and eat with and have a good time. Go find somebody in the ministry who's doing a good work and find them and encourage them and give them a pat on the back. So what we're saying here is that Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That means that no matter where you are financially, if you put God first, He's going to take care of you. I think of David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. Remember David and Jonathan, the warriors, and how they wept on each other's necks? Nothing, nothing wimpy, nothing unmanly about that at all. They fought together. They loved each other in the purest, most manly, most God-honoring way. And it was to the point that they were a band of brothers. But it came at the cost of a high commitment. Do you know that Jonathan standing up for his friend David to Jonathan's psychotic father named Saul 
almost cost Jonathan his life. Do you remember that little, that little corner in the Old Testament when Saul was disturbed of mind and soul and Jonathan stood up for David at the dinner table and said something to the effect of, what evil has my friend done that you would, that you would hunt him and try to kill him? And Saul stands up, grabs his spear, We're not making light of domestic violence today. Maybe some of you have been in that. God's grace can overwhelm that. He can bring you out of that. He can give you forgiveness. But your father standing up at the dinner table, picking up a deadly weapon and hurling it at his oldest son with the intent to kill. And only because Jonathan was a nimble warrior was he able to avoid the spear. And he went out weeping, knowing that his father tried to kill him and was trying to kill his best friend. Jonathan stood up for his friend, but it came at a high commitment. And he says that, that Timothy is genuinely concerned for your welfare. Man, y'all have been such an awesome church. And then when I mentioned about three or four weeks ago on Wednesday night about my little uh, nephew, uh, Micah, and he has the hole uh, in his heart. He's just a newborn. They're giving him medicine. It seems to be closing, so we're praying that God would heal that. Supernaturally, he wouldn't have to have uh, surgery because, I mean, that, that's it. He's just a little guy. Had people ask for the address of, of my parents and, and for Josh and Cassidy. So many of you, when you see me out and about or hear, ask how he's doing. That is showing true care and true concern. Do you know somebody? Is there somebody in your life that truly cares for you? It means if you get something, they're there. They're going to be the ones taking care of you. And by the way, I think marriage is one of the greatest pictures of the love of God. And a marriage, when you marry that person, obviously they're not perfect. No one is. But when you get sick, godly man's wife gets sick, he's the one who's going to bring you to the doctor or go get meds to bring back to her. I'm going to bring you, what was it on the, uh, the uh, fireproof movie. He went and did what should always be appreciated with great love and respect. He brought back some chicken noodle soup from Chick-fil-A. Can I get a witness this morning? Amen. Right. I don't know about you guys, but I think they're going to serve Chick-fil-A in heaven. All right. It may be an hors d'oeuvre or something like that. I don't know, but it's going to be there some way, shape or form. Like I'm committed to you. And if you get ill, I mean, I'm going to be there to make sure you get well. If someone comes and tries to do you physical harm, that may be the last thing that they ever do. Are y'all scared of that? Come on now. We're in Franklin County. You know what I'm talking about? Like if someone tries to do harm to yourself, you are committed to them. It is a high risk that you have given to the point of saying, I'm willing to lay down my life for my husband or my wife. What a beautiful picture of Christ in the church. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. You see, when we understand the gospel, that's when we say gospel-driven concern. Not concerned because I like you. Not concerned because you make me feel good as a person. But gospel-driven concern trumps everything. It says that it doesn't matter how you respond, I'm going to love you. It doesn't matter if you are, if you have a bad attitude today, if you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, or if you went to bed on the wrong side of the bed. Y'all are right this morning? One of those cases, I am committed to taking care of you. And Timothy was genuinely concerned, check this out, for the welfare of people that before God's grace had arrived would have called him everything along the lines of, half-breed, sometimes even a racial slur. 
Write this down. Proverbs 25, 19. Trusting in a treacherous man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. For those of you who are Batman fans, I just think of Alfred, right? The servant of the Wayne family. Remember what happened in the first Batman? He went off and he's there in China, right? He's fighting the criminals in prison and he had basically willed everything to Alfred. We know that's the movies. We know it's a fictional character. And there may be some guy here like, no, I will be Batman. All right, go ahead. Yeah, it's fine. But he willed all of those millions upon millions of dollars. At least a billionaire, right? In the book, something along those lines. And yet, where was Alfred when Bruce Wayne returned? He was there taking care of the people he had committed to take care of. I think what a beautiful commitment of a high-risk commitment. What a beautiful picture of a band of brothers. Notice Paul says in verse 21, he's unlike, for they all, speaking of everyone else, they all seek their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. Fairweather friends. Have you ever known somebody before? They say, I'm going to be there for you. It is a curse of the inward focus when some of us have had the opportunity to know people who you say they're saying one thing, but I don't trust a word they're saying. Okay? Like their mouth is moving, words are coming out, but I don't trust anything that's being said. And I'm going to make reference to the presidential uh, debates at all. But if you want my take, I'll be here afterwards. This uh, okay? And so it is a peek into human nature. Human nature says, "I will take care of you if I like you, if you make me feel good being around you." Gospel-driven concern says, "You know what, fair-weather friends? That is no longer the case. I will go after those people who don't even care about me." Number two. And obviously, we're not going to finish all this today. Genuine concerned action for people different than yourself is God's will for your life. Please let that sink in. Genuine concern, gospel-driven concern for people different than yourself is God's will for your life. Warren Wiersbe says this, Experience without teaching can lead to discouragement, and teaching without experience can lead to spiritual deadness. When I was going to school in Fort Worth, I took a certain style of karate for a little while. And the instructor, Bart, says, he told us, and we'll begin one class, he said, whenever I'm in a competition, he says, and I find myself totally out of breath, tired in the middle of a fight, he says, often I forget to breathe. You can get so fired up, so worked up, ready to throw out your moves, ready to defend yourself. He says that I forget to properly Breathe. And if you forget to properly breathe, you're going to get tired. And I think often, much of the tiredness that we experience in our Christian life comes from the fact that we are not trying to plug in with difficult people. I've talked to so many people since I've been a pastor, just a little over two years. They're visiting churches or they're disgruntled with the church that they're at or something happened or they may just be looking for a church and they say, if they begin with, well, we want a church who will do this and we want a church who will fulfill our needs here and we want this exact style of music and if this happens, often, and this may be really bad, some of y'all may be mad about this, I tell some of those people, I say, well, we're probably not the church for you. 
hold on, Pastor Jeff, you, you, you may lose members that day. I was not called by God or you to get as many members as we could. Really? I thought, no. My job and your job is to teach God's Word and let people know that if you join up, there's going to be an expectation that you get plugged in. Not because we've got our deacons with whips trying to drive people to service, but that when you serve difficult people, when you put yourself out there, that's where you get the joy. Right? Like that's, it's not when you're around the greatest people. Oh, that was so encouraging. By the way, you should be around people who encourage you. You should have those close friends. But when we truly get to the band of brothers is we have a common commitment to each other and a common goal that we're going towards. And the common goal that we're going towards is there. Um, and the next point, genuine concern, action for people different than yourself contrasts you with normal forward slash selfish people who are only concerned about their friends and family. Now, I know we're stepping on toes right here, so let me explain very clearly. We have given the case about Timothy, his background, Paul's different background, and then going to this place of Philippi where everybody was former pagan Romans. Have there in your notes, Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. And here's, here's the point. Invite the awkward people to your party. Listen to what Jesus says. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Wow. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You know what Jesus just told us? That when we open our homes, it should not just be to friends and family, but it should be to people who cannot repay you. That's why I put it in your notes. It's on the website. Invite the awkward people to your party. Invite the people who would not invite you in return because they may be ashamed of what they live in. Invite the people that may not be able to advance you in any way. Invite the people that may stress you out a little bit because if we take a step back and we say, well, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with having like a close friends, close family party, but Jesus says that you need to do it also to where you invite the people. Notice what he says again there in verse number 13. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. In that day, that would have been social outcast. Big question. Do some of us love people enough to open up our home to people who may be social outcasts? Dr. H.A. Ironside, old preacher, generation ago, used to tell about a group of believers that thought only of quote-unquote fellowship, People who encourage me, and vice versa. They had little concern for reaching the lost or defending the faith against its enemies. In front of their meeting place, they hung a sign. Here's what it said. Jesus only. But the wind came and blew away some of the letters, and the sign read, Us only. It was a perfect description of a group of people who were not balanced Christians. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, in fact, I would like you to turn with me there. Matthew chapter 5. 
and verse 43, Matthew 5, 43, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, do what to your enemies? Help me, church. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now check out verse 46. Here is where it pivots. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles the same. You know what Jesus is saying? Not only should you invest in people who can encourage you, but He's saying that if you only invest in your friends and your family and those people who help you, then there's no difference at all between you and a lost person. When I was studying this, I was very convicted. I was very challenged. I want to just let you guys know I'm renewing my commitment to try to develop more relationships in Franklin County with people who are not like me. You're like normal people? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. And Paul begins to describe Epaphroditus, which we're going to get to that next week. But I wanted to share something with you that I never forgot. Some of you know that for two, or actually one and a half summers, I was able to serve at Olive Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida. It was really hard serving the Lord in Pensacola, Florida, because it has the beach and so forth. You know, just suffering there on the beach and being able to surf and whatnot. But uh, Pastor Ted, he's from North Alabama. Just, I mean, just as country as the day is long. It's, and I, I love it. It freed me, it freed me in so many ways to say that preachers can be normal. They can enjoy a few hard knocks. You know, when you go to his house, come on in, boy! You're like, okay, you know, just sit down and just be very respectful. But when he had been at Olive for about eight years, he said that it was almost like a sore that began to fester. And sometimes churches have drama, right? I mean, it just happens. Whenever you get people, there's going to be things. And it got so bad that in a business meeting, if someone stood up and called his wife Jezebel, I mean, and she's super sweet. I mean, those type of things where all the men in here are like, nope, not happening, right? Like after the church, if that happened, it would be a closed fist healing, right? One of those. And he says, man, it got to the point where I didn't want to be there. He says it was like I, I was just at the end of being disillusioned, being discouraged. And he said, then a group of men from Olive went to North Alabama, where Brother Ted was from, Pisgah. How many people know where Pisgah is? Really? Wow. I was that ruined my illustration. Okay. All right. Mr. Ever knew. Yeah. A very small place. Okay. Very small place. And they went up there. They went to this, to this creek that Ted used to, to, to hunt uh, around when he was a young man. And they brought him back some water from that spring. And they brought him back a rock, kind of like a tablet from there in North Alabama. And they came into his office, about seven men. And they said, we want to know, Pastor, that we are with you. And we would die for you. Do you remember in the Old Testament when David thought about this one specific well? And he said, oh, that I may drink of the well. And his mighty men battled through the enemy, risking their own lives. They got a draught of water from the well, and they battled back through enemy lines and brought it to him. That was those guys' way of saying, you know what? This is not our church. It's God's church. Preaching the word, we are with you and we are willing to die for you. 
And he's been there for now 22 years and still going strong. The way that we come to the place where we have people that we are banded together with is we have a commitment to each other to achieve a common goal. And our goal, Rocky Mount Baptist Church, is to see as many men, women, children, teenagers, college students in Franklin County, and even people who want to come over from Roanoke, wherever they want to come from, see as many saved and discipled to become hardcore followers of Jesus that we can, so that we will see more people leaving Rocky Mount Baptist Church, like Susan did, to say, you know what, I'm not just going to live the gospel here in Franklin County, I'm going to take it towards one of the darkest regions in the world. That is our goal as Rocky Mountain Baptist Church.